Hi there, I'm Miri Paisan, and I'm here to share my thoughts on the movies I watched recently. The big thought for this week is my unpopular opinion about John Wick. See, I avoided John Wick for a decade because it was described to me as the bad guys kill Keanu Reeves' dog, and then he goes and kills all of the people who killed his dog. And I really don't like it when the dog dies. I mean, about seven or eight years ago, I was just discovering my love of Taika Waititi movies, and my friend, who is an even bigger film nerd than me, told me I should go look up The Hunt for the Wilder People. Um, it had come out in 2016. It was starring Sam Neill and Julian Dennison. It is a fabulous movie about a kid and his foster parent who basically go on walkabout in the New Zealand brush, and then there's like a manhunt for them. And also, Waititi has this very funny cameo playing a totally uptight priest, and it's just like melts your brain when you think about <laughs> him playing that role. It's a really good movie. But about halfway through, the dog dies. And so the next day I see my friend and I tell him I'm mad at him for telling me to watch this movie where the dog dies. And he's like, okay, but how was the rest of it? And I was like, oh my God, it's a really good movie, except for the part with the dog. And then I was mad at him for like another 20 minutes until something else came up and I forgot to be mad at him anymore. I really am glad that I saw it, but I probably won't watch it again because of that one part. So anyway, so... This whole idea of the hitman goes on a killing spree when they kill his dog is an accurate description of what happens in the first John Wick movie. And that's not what it's actually about. Side note, I had 10 years to prep myself for knowing this dog would die, so I figured it was about time to actually watch this thing. So John Wick Chapter 1 came out in 2014. It stars Keanu Reeves, Ian McShane, Lance Reddick, and Michael Nyquist. It's kind of a boring general action movie. Like, I, I'm sorry. I know that all these people are like blown away by it. But going into it expecting an action movie, I, <laughs> I was kind of bored. There was a, so much fighting. It was just, it didn't stop. Now, Having said that, it's actually a great martial arts movie. And they, they have, I think, like what is called gung fu also. Um, so, like, if you're into that stuff, like if you like the Bruce Lee stuff, then you probably already really love this movie. Um, but I got to be honest, I got bored with all the fight scenes. And they, you know, like after a while, they started shooting people again. And my husband was just sitting there on the edge of his seat watching enthusiastically. And I kind of just went back to my cross stitch until people started talking again. They were really long fight scenes. And I got to say, this is going to sound so bizarre, <laughs> but it reminded me of a porno called The Lord of the G-Strings came out in 2003. And it's uh, a porno starting, starring Misty Monday. As the name suggests, it's a parody of Lord of the Rings, and it's really clever and funny, which is not necessarily the part that you should be remembering when it comes to porn. Um, in fact, it's got to be the only porn I have ever watched where after getting a few scenes in, I actually like fast forwarded through the sexy bits to get back to the plot because the parody was way more clever than the sex was sexy. And I feel the same way about John Wick. I mean, you know, can we please cut some of this action short so that we can get back to the story? 
And so that's the thing is that buried underneath all of that fighting and splatter, because there is a lot of splatter, there's a really interesting film in there. You have this hitman, and he's the, the best of the best of the best, sir, with honors, who manages to get out of the killing business so that he can live a legitimate life with the woman he loves. And, you know, like above board. But right before the movie starts, she has just died of a wasting disease. I think it was cancer. They might have said, I don't remember. And he's completely lost. He is just rudderless until this little puppy is delivered to him. And it's a final gift from his wife so that he has something to live for. The only problem is this young punk in a, in, from the Russian mafia, because of reasons, breaks into his home, steals, steals his car and for shits and giggles, kills his dog. Our hero breaks. He just breaks. And then he goes ahead and takes down everyone who stands in his way between him and that punk kid. And that is a different story because it's talking about grief. It's not just revenge. I mean, there is revenge in there, but it's grief, it's loss. And it's talking about like how difficult it can be to step out of one life and transition into something else, especially when that old life keeps calling you back. So, you know, the writing is really good. The characters are excellent. And even I guess the fighting choreography is good, what little I actually saw of it. Um, there's a lot of meat on that bone, but there's just too much fighting for me. Anyway, if I'm going to, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. So we also watched John Wick 2 recently, and that one came out in 2017 and again stars Keanu Reeves, Ian McShane, Lance Reddick, Common, and it's also got Lawrence Fishburne in there. And it essentially picks up shortly after the first one ends, and once more Wick is dragged into his old life kicking and screaming. But what caught my attention in this one was the discussion of power dynamics. I mean, like nobody, none of the characters actually talk about it, but like it's something that you observe. It's one of the themes is the power dynamics. It's still the same issue for me of way too much fighting, but the interplay of people is still fascinating. There's this scene at the very end. I like almost at the very, very end. John Wick is completely screwed. He has broken the honor code of his people, and now he's as good as dead. And an employee of the keeper of the code picks him up, drives him to meet his destiny, and they have this moment to say goodbye before the end. And, you know, they keep everything very professional because that's like one of the, the things about this world that John Wick lives in is everybody's a professional. And so it's not emotional and it's not personal. So they say goodbye and they shake hands and there is a close up of the handshake. Okay. And you got to remember that in a movie like this, everything is done deliberately. If they're, if they've done a close up of something that was placed and it took hours for them to put the cameras in the right place and make sure that everything looks right. And so like, this was definitely thought about, it was deliberate, and it was edited into the film, okay? So they have this close-up of the handshake, and John Wick's hand is on top. That's the power position. I mean, like, when you study um, 
when you study body language, like this is something that politicians do. If you look at when politicians are shaking hands and the press is taking pictures, right, there's like this subtle jostling of power to be the hand at the top of the handshake, the top one, that's the one in power. That's the one who has the edge, right? Literally, that's the upper hand. So here we are in this moment where John Wick is going to his death or his presumed death. And the director of the movie put him in the power position and gave him literally gave him the upper hand. And then in the very next scene, the keeper of the code meets with Wick in a crowded park. And with a nod from him, every single visible person in that very crowded park halts they freeze in place and then turn and look at him until the keeper waves them on right that's how powerful this keeper of the code guy is and the director gave wick the upper hand over his employee right before that so you know um at this point you know the movies have been out for a long time and no i haven't seen all of them i'm still going to watch number three and probably when number four comes out, we'll go <laughs> and see that in the theater now that like I've gotten past the whole dog dying thing. Um, so we'll see how it all turns out. But um, or, you know, you've probably already seen it and you're listening to this getting mad that I called the movie a boring action movie. But um, I haven't seen John Wick three yet. Uh, so, you know, I'll report back and let you know what I thought of that one once I watch it. Um, but, you know, considering that number three and number number three is out, number four is coming soon, it kind of leaves one to make certain assumptions about whether or not he lives. Uh, so that was like the big one that I watched this week. I also in a completely different end of the spectrum, which I guess is more of a puddle than a straight line. But anyway, I also revisited a light little comedy that I haven't seen since it came out in 2017 called Table 19. It stars Anna Kendrick, Lisa Kudrow, Craig Robinson, and Wyatt Russell. And um, I don't, just a really quick side note, like Wyatt Russell is quickly becoming like, somebody that I'm constantly paying attention to. I have always adored both of his parents, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. They are like my favorite Hollywood couple. And so, you know, to see him uh, getting out into the world and doing all of these different roles is just really exciting for me. But anyway, okay. So table 19 is about the wedding reception table for the people who should have known to RSVP their regrets, but they show up to the wedding anyway. When I went to see it in 2017, I remember walking out of that movie absolutely loving it. Um, but, you know, it's been long. Like, seriously, the only reason that I remember what I had for breakfast is because I have the same breakfast every day. Like, <laughs> I, you know, like, I remember how a movie makes me feel, but not what was necessarily going on. And only rarely do I remember, like, specific moments. So it was really fun to go back and visit it again, uh, knowing that I loved it and like remembering like a kind of sort of maybe there was this scene and this scene, you know. Anyway, so the movie starts out with the outcasts from this wedding reception sitting at table 19. And throughout the movie, we learn about the wrongs done to them and how hard life has been. And we view, we the viewers 
form these opinions of who they are and what their place in the world is. And then at about the halfway point, there is this huge revelation. And you find that you have to re-examine everything that you know about them through the lens of this new information. And then a little while later, there's this other huge revelation and you have to reevaluate them again. You know, so like I love movies that just kind of like make you think that way. And, and you're sitting there going, OK, I know who these people are. And then you're like, oh, my God, I had no idea these people. Oh, my God. And then you love them even harder somehow, you know. So this movie is funny and romantic, although you may not really see that part at first. And it's this wonderful reminder that we cannot judge people by their first impressions or their second or sometimes even their third. And sometimes we form opinions of what we think we know about people we know well but we still might not always know everything. And there could be like that one key piece that just changes everything, right? So this is a quiet little gem. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. And I will say for any of you who are still listening after I talked about John Wick and that's all that you came here for, um, my husband and I saw it in the theater and he loved this movie too. So there is that. Um, and, you know, my husband is the one that's like introducing me to Godzilla and John Wick. And, you know, like, I mean, like, I love the action movies, but he's got like this love, love of like all the giant reptiles and all of that. So, you know, um, but you know what I'm saying? But like this guy, he loves this movie, too. So I do recommend it. And while I'm on the topic of sort of rom-coms, I'm not sure if that one counts as a rom-com. It's definitely it's like this. It's just this beautiful little movie. Anyway, I wanted to talk to you about a podcast that I recently listened to, and it's called A Feminist Romance Novel Podcast, Temp oh, excuse me, Temptations at Sweetwater Creek. It was written by Sam Ag Aguirre, Leah Birkenwald, and Benjamin Sandler, starring Emily Laverdier, Devin Courtney, Amy Lee, Alex Derue, Nicole Abundanza, Aaron Sheehy, Gregory Scott, and R.H. Abdelghani. It came out this year, 2024, and it is about three strong modern women who get thrown into this situation with a ripped cowboy, a smoldering chef, and, um, well, a vampire. And there is this narrator who's in addition to them, who is like hell bent on giving our characters plenty of romance and sex. And when I say that this is something that hits all of the romancy tropes, um, what I mean is that it hits them on the head with a falling grand piano, okay? I haven't laughed that loudly in a long time. It is smart. It is clever. And there are some explicit scenes in there that are really... Um, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And it is thoughtful and well-written. And <laughs> I have got a bone to pick with the writers collectively known as Cat Stash, which is that one of the messages of this story is that tropey romances cannot be feminist, that they are exclusive to each other. And I fully disagree with this concept, okay? There was a time when that may have been true, but I would like to point out that romance novels have had female presidents of companies, 
of the U.S. long before things were showing up in any other popular media. And these days, you are just as likely to see a heroine keeping her job and finding a way to make it work next to the love of her life as she is to give everything up to have a family. Like, it could go either way. And, you know, that's the same as in the real world. Not everybody has to choose to keep their career. And to insist that they must is, you know, taking away women's choices, right? So, but like, that's my point, is that it could go either way in romance novels that are written now. And the thing that I love about romance novels is that women get to look at all of their options. You know, we get that representation that is still frequently lacking in the rest of the media. Is it perfect? Is it ideal? No. Welcome to the real world. But it's more prevalent there than anywhere else that I have seen, okay? And also, at a meta level, let's take a look at this. Romance novels is a multi-billion dollar industry predominantly run by women, for women, and about women. That's pretty freaking feminist, okay? So if you think that romance novels aren't feminist, you have not been looking very hard, and maybe you're letting your preconceived notions color your lens on this world. Anyway, that's everything that I have to share with you this week. If you liked what you heard today, please do subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. This is Miri Paisan signing off and wishing you a beautiful day.